Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everybody. This is me. I'm Lachlan, and I'm speaking to you on behalf of the podcast Dungeon Deep Dive, which is also presented in, to a lesser extent, <laughs> <laughs> by my darling co-host. muted. That's fair. Fired. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Summer, summarily executed. That's probably, honestly, that's probably my quickest. It's my wow. quickest one. Yep. Uh, Kicked anyway, off in the intro. Anyway, I'm Grace and I guess I don't work here. <laughs> Look, one of us doesn't, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm Tully and I quit every week. And yet, and here yet. you are once again. Here I am once again. And this is a coup. So let's see how this shakes out. I don't know what that means, but it was fun. I think it's the same sound effect. That's the sound effect of a coup. Is that what? I mean, I did always think that. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, I've had enough of that. What was that supposed to be? Orchestra was, tuning. Yeah, I heard like. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I heard like an audience coughing, and I was going to be like, "Oh, this is my twelve hours of train sounds." I was like, is this going to be... I was honestly just waiting for the moment where it was relevant. Oh. Well, now this is a coup. This is coup music. Thank you, Tully. That's chaotic, whatever no, that I, was. No, I have to stab you both, I think. Okay. Anyway, this week, speaking of stabbing, what do you do after you get stabbed? You die. What do you do after you die? Probably have a funeral. Probably that. Maybe. I um, plan to after I get stabbed. Yeah. Well, most people do. Uh, interestingly enough, I mean, we've kind of always done funerals. Funerals have yeah. been around for, for forever. I mean, there is evidence that Neanderthals 60,000 years mm. ago uh, were burying their dead with, I mean, they buried them covered in like flower <sighs> petals and buried in a specific way and everything. It's like funerals have been a part of, at least arguably a part of human culture for as long back as you could consider us even close to human. Yeah, and speaking of the uh, oldest continuous living culture, um, we're recording today in the Minjin land of the Turrbal and Yagara people of Australia. They are the traditional custodians of the land on which we stand and uh, sovereignty was never ceded. Um, we do want to play, pay respects to Indigenous elders past, present and emerging and if you are uh, one of those people, we would love to have you join the conversation. Yeah, if you'd like. If you want, if you want to. I mean, no, no pressure. If you want to get in contact, whoever you are, um, you can catch us on our socials at Dungeon Deep Dive uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can reach us at deepdivetnc at gmail.com. 
Um, I'm putting it up the front now so that people who tune out will still hear it. Oh, you think that's it? I wonder... Hmm. I wonder. Send us an email if you've ever made it at the end of one of these episodes. Hey, want you to know? That's probably a good idea. Back before I was was in it, I would listen to this as I went to bed at night and I'd get about three quarters of the way through and then I'd fall asleep. So yeah. I didn't actually hear the end of an episode for a really long time. Yeah, it's about what I feared. I worry that's what this <laughs> podcast did to folks. Yeah, so you just got calming voices. Exactly. Ooh. Something like um, that. Our soothing vibes. But um, no, please, we would love to hear from you, uh, no matter what you take from our episodes. If it's constructive criticism, uh, if it's, hey, thanks, I really loved this and used it in my game, we would love to hear um, what you're doing with it. We'd love to hear from you. But don't like take like the microphones or anything. We need, we need those. We do need those. Um, anyway, great. <laughs> yeah, hi. <laughs> hi. really dumb. Hi, I'm here and I'm up first and I have a fun topic for you that Lovely. I think is fun and interesting. It's, and this is a little hyper-specific, it's the stuff they bury you with. You know the things that they sometimes give you when they- uh, they're, they're bones, right? No, you get to. They're yours. You get to keep those. Oh, they give excellent. you extra stuff. More sometimes stuff. Wait, extra more bones. bones. Oh. Sometimes extra bones. Extra bones. Extra bones. Extra bones. That's what I'll be chanting at my funeral. Hey, here's a here's a fun question for us all. Just mm-hmm. well, just to, to kind of lead off our funeral discussion. How how long before what's in your coffin cannot be considered you anymore? Think about that. About that. I've had enough of this ship of Theseus shit tonight. <laughs> it's you, like, do you want the honest answer? Yeah, it really depends on whether you're black or white. Ooh, it really depends on your race about when uh, archaeologists start considering your remains history. Yeah, it, it actually does. The difference between archaeology Oof. and grave robbing is um, is contentious, uh, but very racially blurred. Yeah, uh, yikes. Well, that's yeah. a good turn. I read a whole article about it when I got sucked into this thing. I was just, yeah. I was extra bones, extra bones, extra bones, extra bones. I'm gonna die right now just to get <laughs> just to get me those bones. Anyway, Grace, well, continue. Okay, so look, I know we all know the Egyptians. They gave you stuff when you died. They gave it to you. They said, "Take this with you." We're not gonna cover that. We all had the Egyptology book. We, we all know. loved it. We get it. The Egyptians were cool as hell. We're going to talk about some other guys that did cool stuff with burials. Okay, so basically the reason why I'm going through this is I thought it'd be really interesting in terms of like uh, world building and environmental building and like leaving environmental context clues um, in a game. If you come across a corpse or you come across a grave, what can that tell you about the person who was there and about the culture that they belong to? Um, Because especially in a lot of like ancient civilizations and stuff like that, their burial practices were pretty basic Hmm. and in game dungeons and tombs it's like half of it's in the name if you're in a dungeon likely there'll be some graves there'll be some sorry fucking what dungeons and and tombs the classic game dungeons and tombs half of it is in the name of the game dungeons oh the dungeons dungeons and look to be fair the french really loved stacking bones in dungeons the french went crazy for that okay let me let me you're giving me a squint let me just elaborate in the Fantasy version of dungeons. Mm-hmm. Usually, you're exploring old places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, there'll be some graves there. Uh, to be fair, my mental but image of uh, like a fantasy dungeon, there's always like a skeleton hanging in the corner. 
Yeah, okay, I appreciate... Okay, look, I appreciate that. I appreciate that, yes, they both exist at the same time. They're both underground, I'll give you that. And dead bodies in both of them. Mm. But no one is entombed in a dungeon for, like, a funeral. Those are... I feel like The royal catacombs are definitely Um, in a dungeon. Well, that's not a dungeon, then. Hey, when I die, can you entomb me in a dungeon? Beautiful. Um, okay, so in 2015, there was an ancient burial mound found in France. It's about 40 meters in diameter, and originally they thought it was that of an Iron Age princess. When you when I say burial mound, literally they buried the body, they buried some items with the body. Sometimes that was furniture, sometimes that was animals, especially horses were very common to be buried alongside people because they were so important in that era. It was sort of like transport and meat and companionship and that was important to people and they they thought like hey if this is your lifelong companion that you've had for years either they will miss you or you will miss them and they want you to be together Mm. um but when they started digging it up uh it had a chariot a chariot a bronze cauldron a vase depicting depicting the ancient greek god of wine and ecstasy uh dionysus uh, which was interesting because this was in France. So it was like, okay, so this is how far this uh, this culture has spread. It mm. went from Greece to France, which first of all tells you about the the land at the time. So if you're if you come across a if you come across a body in your game and it contains pottery or jewelry from a different place, then you can be like, okay, this person was either a traveler or at one point this land was was ruled by this other culture. Mm. There was a giant knife and a bunch of other cool artifacts that were just like pottery and knives and stuff like that. Uh, Originally, they thought it was for a woman because of all the jewellery they found. There was tons of delicately beaded and like interesting like woven golden jewellery. And it wasn't until 2017 when they finally got to the bones and they excavated them and tested them and it was a young man. They had just assumed this is full of beautiful jewellery, this is full of expensive equipment and, like, all sorts of crazy stuff. So this is a Iron Age princess. Oh, my God. Archaeologists are fucking yeah. dumb as hell. Yeah. They were like, oh, there's a bunch of stuff here. There's there's wine and cloth and jewellery. Mm. And that's a woman. That's a woman's thing. I mean, if there's one thing we know about history and the people who write it, it's that they can assume all manner of things. Yeah. They were roommates. yeah but this this huge this huge burial mound was just for this one ancient uh iron age prince and all his jewelry and his all sorts of crazy stuff oh so he was clearly like some kind of he was still an important he was an important person he was still clearly either ruling or royalty or some sort of important figure in his community he deserved, he, like, they thought he deserved this really elaborate burial with all these important artifacts that some of which would have been, like, vital to everyday life, like the pottery and the, the cutlery and stuff like that. Um, like, weapons you can make more of and stuff like that, but if you're using the same bowl every day, that's what you eat out of. You need that. And they gave that up to this guy. I want to believe that he's just, like... He's sto- just a dude. He was just, just, <laughs> he was just, like, Stone Age, like... Twitter white boy of the month. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was just like the village hottie. Yeah. (laughs) So in 2018 in Kazakhstan, they found another ancient burial site um, by the Saka, who were a nomadic people who spoke an Iranian language. Um, This this sort of Saka group actually sort of 
stretch from the Middle East all the way up to sort of like Eastern Europe and sort of very uh, Western Asian countries. It was mm. a huge amount of ground they covered. Um, and they were really well known for their horsemanship and their metalwork. So in a lot of their burial mounds, mounds again, because it was the simplest way to cover a body and to sort of, if you heaped the earth up on top, you could also keep track of where these bodies were. You often buried families together in mounds, in lines that like went around the, the, um, the environment. Mm. So in these burial mounds, they found, sorry, in one burial site, they found 3,000 golden objects. Wait, 3,000? That's a Accor- lot. Look, according to the uh, BBC history thing that I was reading, uh, yeah, because they were really well known for their metalwork. And they had a, a huge, expansive sort of area. They know they were nomadic. A lot of their stuff was very small. Mm. Um, so they had all these little, tiny, intricately made, um, like, art, like artwork and sculptures and jewelry and buckles. Uh, there was golden plates and jewelry, uh, chains with precious stones and bell-shaped earrings. There were golden crafted animals, obviously depicting the animals that they saw around them at the time. Hmm. Uh, Hmm. There were beads. And they estimate it was 2,800 to 3,000 years ago. Wow. Yeah, this stuff holds up a really long time. And over in, in France, they were burying their dead in a similar way that they were over all the way in the the Middle East and up towards Eastern Europe, which was just Hmm. a very simple... You bury the body, and then in order to show where this this person lies, you keep piling earth up on top. Hmm. That's interesting, and it's interesting that the things they bury them with seem to become like less perishable over time. Because I mean, hmm. you, you look at like the Neanderthals, like sixty thousand BCE, who were put who were burying their dead with literally like just like dried flower petals. Yeah, uh, and then as like I guess people wanted a more permanent. Yeah, well, as more time goes on after people have the ability to communicate with each other, I guess they just kind of enough graves were robbed over time that they Mm -hmm. realised that some stuff sticks around. Yeah. Hmm. It's just weird to think about living in a time where we didn't know that, like, some things were perishable or not. Like, we just tried it that many times, we worked it out. Yeah. Um, In a lot of burial mounds and graves, you can find um, horses, jewellery, meat, weapons, uh, drugs... Mostly, mostly weed or opium, but you can find Mm. them there. Uh, A lot of carvings, whether that be like wood or other sort of objects that you carve into, and a lot of pottery, just like a ton of pottery. I'm going to hotbox my own coffin. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Across all levels of society, like from the very poor to the very rich, a lot of very common things to be found in graves were um, brooches, coins, and pottery. So obviously the quality varies about what sort of class you were in. Uh, but, I mean, brooches held your clothes together. Uh, Wait, sorry, where was this? This is just this is just in general. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, they were just two cool examples I found of two very, uh, like, geographically separate yet very common, uh, very similar burials. Oh, okay. Um, but, yeah, across all levels of society, uh, your brooch held your clothes together, your pottery was important for carrying things, and you had... <sighs> Yeah, like what little coin you had was valuable to you. Sometimes this pottery contained animal remains uh, and whether those were put there as sort of a supply to take with you to your afterlife or whether that was a sacrifice uh, sort of depends very heavily on what culture you're taking from and actually seems to be a point of contention for some historians. They're like, 
yeah, these these were sacrifices, obviously. And someone was like, I mean, their culture doesn't really have that, so maybe it's not. Well, but I some mean, some of this stuff, so well, they just don't know. Counter argument, fuck you. Yeah, well, like they seem to really argue about it. Well, that really that really touches on my theory which is that it's a big fuck you to the animals just to be like, look, <laughs> we died, but you we're going to take out like six of you in the process. <laughs> look at how big our dicks are. Uh, I'm glad we're joking about this because the next one gets a little sad. Oh, uh, no. Often children are buried with toys and pets. You find a lot of like young children are buried with d- uh, p- uh, toys that would have been very like special to them, like a lot of like dolls and toy weapons and things like that. And often, obviously, the pets that they very much loved. I appreciate the sentiment of that, but I can't, I can't imagine being a parent and losing my child and being like, I well, obviously, to... the next thing to do is to kill my dog. Yeah, like, I can't imagine it. Surely you want the dog right now, right? Yeah, you need that. Yeah, that... you want the company. Oh, man, that is sad. Often people, who, uh, like, in... That's what I'm saying. It's just like a fuck you. <laughs> Often in very religious communities, or even if the even if the society itself wasn't overly religious or had multiple religions that you could sort of choose between, if someone had a very strong sense of faith in something, they were often buried with um sort of symbols or statuettes of things that represented their gods or goddesses, and often for like priests and oracles and stuff, their burials would be very heavily themed around whatever. Uh, whatever person they believed in. Um, can I just offer that blown up to the extreme from the modern world, mm-hmm. uh, which is from Ghana uh, in Africa. Um, they have what is known as uh, fantasy coffins. And essentially that it was something that was important to the person in life. They would theme the coffin. So a successful businessman could be buried in a BMW coffin. Yeah. Sometimes it could be if they liked spicy food, it was a chili pepper. Like they just they just make these decorative coffins that are kind of like something that they liked in life. Yeah, they seem to be because I, I saw I saw something about that as well, and they seem to be like getting more and more elaborate over time, as it's just be kind of it's becoming like. A weird bragging right to have the weirdest coffin. Yeah, well, it's also it's like a very it's also a very kind of self aware practice. Like it seems like there's a packet of Marlboro cigarettes here. I'm gonna get buried in a pair of vans. Like I think the I think the point is to it seems to be at least from the, the like the bits I've seen of it and like the trends in the way <sighs> they have evolved. It seems to really just be like a competition to be like, well, what's something that is still meaningful does still count. What's, like, the weirdest thing we can do, though? (laughs) I saw one that was just, like, someone's coffin that they were making was just, like, a chicken. Just, like, a giant... Just, like, an enormous, like, seven-foot-long wooden chicken. And that's what they're going to stay in forever. Incredible. Yeah. The being buried with items wasn't necessarily uh, isolated to communities that buried their dead, like, whole. Um there were a lot of a lot of societies and a lot of communities that uh, cremated their dead, and yet they still either buried them or placed or placed them with items. Um, so, in a lot of like old uh, like British uh, burial sites, they found they found pottery with human cremated remains, uh, but they still have buried with them the same pottery and uh brooches and stuff like that that you'd find with an actual like 
full corpse. Hmm. They, they didn't treat the, the, the body and the ashes differently. They buried them with the same thing. It was the same stuff. Wild. That's interesting. Um, there was a very fancy one found uh, with, a, with a pot full of human ashes and it was uh, a woman's ashes were found with a leather bag, a pin, a chalotain, which uh, you've probably seen before. They're like a little decorative metal holder that you'd clip to your, um, your belt and it had a bunch of little change with th- chains with things hanging off them. It was essentially like a lanyard for ye old uh, fancy woman and it had like scissors and sewing things and keys and it basically showed uh it showed all of the responsibilities she had as a lady of the house and she would just show them on her belt like oh I'm so important I hold all the keys and I do all the sewing and these are all the important responsibilities that I hold and they were often very elaborate so she would have been like a fairly wealthy woman and they buried her ashes in a lovely little pot uh, there was an ivory box and they just like buried all of what would have been her very important items with her. Yeah. I do like that, burying the, the important items with the ashes. Mm. Also, this isn't necessarily an item to be buried with, but I came across it and I thought it was very interesting in terms of like the the evidence left behind after a burial that can tell you a lot about the person it used to be. For oh, ex- can, I, can I guess? Because I think I might know what this is. I read somewhere that once they... Guys, once they dug up a grave and they opened a coffin, and I think this is what you're going to touch on. This is the one where, like, they found a they found a body in there. They found a dead body. Guys, how fucking scary is that? Imagine if your coffin had a dead body in it. Well, if I'm, uh, <laughs> this one doesn't have a, this I'm one doesn't have a coffin, but it is a dead body. You're right there. No coffin though. Wacky, am I right? That's honestly, even, honestly you, that's even scary. You said that I with such conviction. <laughs> I was like questioning for a second if that was a bit or not. I can't believe someone stole that coffin and put a shitty <laughs> dead body there. Um, <laughs> I think you. I think you will really enjoy this. This still. Uh, this still goes with your whole. Um, isn't it wacky that you'd find a body there? Uh, Viking era bones were found beneath a rose bush at the Saint Nicholas Church in Norway. Just in a rose. Just in the garden. Well, they mean, just dug down a little deeper and they were like, oh. Uh. To be fair, where else would you plant your roses? Yeah. That's fair. I mean, to be honest, soil's probably great. Need them nitrates. It's mm. just the, um, the ancient th- equivalent of like green burials. Yeah. Actually, roses would have grown really well there because I know for a fact that when you're planting roses, you put uh, bone, meal. bone meal down. Mm-hmm. They like the And they placenta like the if possible. Oh. I guess. If possible. As if I don't have if placenta on me. Possible. <laughs> um, but basically, uh, what's important about this is that it was they were Viking bones. The Vikings were in the area at the time and the um, the body was found with remnants of Viking clothing. Obviously not a lot because most of it had rotted away. Um, but what was important was that it showed a lack of a particular fusing of the bone in the neck, um, uh-huh. which was really uncommon for Vikings but was super duper common in the Incans. Oh, huh. There were Incan Vikings buried under a rose well, bush? Well, they haven't been able to find enough details to back this up, but they did know that the Vikings travelled over boats, an enormous area of Viking remains have been found absolutely everywhere. It's ridiculous. They really got around. And they were, they were like, oh... 
we haven't found any Viking evidence in Peru or in America, but we have found some Incan evidence in Norway. So did they get there? Did they meet some did they meet some traveling Incans at a halfway point and they decided to come along? Why is this Viking body showing the yeah. physical signs of being an Incan? That's real weird. Yeah, it's just really interesting and if you're if you're trying to describe and build a, a world, it could be an interesting plot point to put in somewhere like hey, the people around here don't have bones like that. Why does that person look that way? You know? That is... We're in a landlocked country. Why is this person wearing... Like, why is this person showing signs of being a sailor or something? Why are they buried with sailor's items? No one... We don't have a sea here. You yeah. know? You uh, have to go through three countries to get to the nearest sea. What's going on? And yeah. as we all know, sailors hate travelling. <laughs> they hate it. Well, they go around the outside. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, I know a shortcut. <laughs> <laughs> all the all the other sailors are like, nah, nah. I don't believe. I don't believe it. There's nothing in there. What if? And hang on for a second. What if we sailed, but on the land? <laughs> I just. I, it'd be really funny. I'm just imagining like people on like the east coast of africa who just need to like walk like like south just need to walk like a few days and they're like well i know a quick route and then the sailors just go around the cape of good hope <laughs> famously an easy uh cape to uh, go around yeah. famously no ships have ever crashed there it's never been bad ever um and it's the quickest route to travel and we should all be traveling honestly look look my daily commute goes through the Cape of Good Hope and like <laughs> it gets a bad route. But if you don't go there through peak hour, I mean, it's pretty cruisy. It's yeah. pretty cruisy. You don't have to pay the toll. And that's, that's the fair. big thing. That's fair. That's the big thing. You do have to pay the toll on sailors' lives. But I mean, I'll pay that price any day. Hmm. Any uh, day. Any day at all. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's really all I had about these items that were buried with. Um, these are just examples, but basically it's, it's very common everyday items, uh, clothing, brooches, and then you also had important ceremonial things that represented their religion and their faith and sort of their class. It was just sort of like the things that you want to represent you in life that you could take with you, you know? That's fun. It's like a your last chance at self-expression. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, okay. Well, so what I had to talk about now is I only now get a little bit more into kind of like the, the attitudes around death in general. Because that's going to be something that, that really comes up. I mean, it's going to come up obviously pretty much immediately if you have funerals or anything like that in a game. I mean, you need to know how people feel about this kind of thing. Um, and that's really going to vary depending on like who they are and where they come from. And like, I mean, historically when they come from mm -hmm. as well. Um, so what I was, I was reading an article that talks about a that was like quoting from a book written by by Philippe Aries. Um, he's like a French historian uh, who wrote a book called Western Attitudes Towards Death from the Middle Ages to the Present, which has been uh, somewhat critical, uh, crit criticized 
for uh, like some overgeneralizations, but it gives a really good overview of kind of the prevailing cultural attitudes, at least, at least the prevailing cultural attitudes in terms of uh, like, I guess the zeitgeist, uh, like a lot of his evidence was based on like literature and stuff of the times, especially mm. as you get like further back into times that there's not a whole lot of like actual record of culture and customs and stuff yeah. back into like eras where recording your culture didn't seem necessary because you'd live forever because you'll conquer the world kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, I was reading an, an interesting article that was using that to kind of compare the attitudes throughout the West uh, kind of throughout history and the way those evolved with uh, the way uh, Persian culture evolved specifically with regards to like attitudes towards death, mm. um, which I think, which I think really kind of neatly summed up uh, at least in, in, at least in a pretty general sense, like where the differences kind of can lie between different like cultures between the way different cultures like think about this sort of stuff um because the uh, it's really interesting to look at the uh, things that every culture on earth at least the ones that exist today all these things that they have in common with regards to their funeral rites um i mean like we said funeral rites are like pretty much a cultural universal there is really no example of humans that didn't do some variation of a funeral some yeah custom some ritual uh when someone was when someone passed away death has always been a significant part of of human life yeah and you can see in the way that um in the way that different kind of religions specifically deal with it uh the reverence that they give to the deceased is almost i mean it is universal it's always a very respectful process um even cultures uh there's a lot of cult there's a lot of religions that are based on kind of their like old uh rules that kind of were at least in part informed by like early understanding of sanitation and stuff like for instance in judaism a body is considered to be at least somewhat is to bring uncleanliness mm, yeah uh, so you're supposed to like be very careful around around bodies you're supposed to like wash your hands and um and and some Cultures take it even further. I know that um, in Islamic funeral rites, your the body isn't is supposed to be touched only wearing gloves and only by uh, other Muslims. Yeah, um, in Zoroastrian tradition, actually, um, there's a there's a whole sort of method of cleanliness that you've got to go through before the body is uh, disposed of, and so essentially, and this shows that they're really quite um, careful about bodies uh, because a dead body is seen as something that is very unclean. Um, so here's the process. First, the, the body is cleansed with unconsecrated bull's urine, um, which I assume part of that is just uh, the disinfectant properties. Very likely. And, um, and that's a process that later evolved in a lot of kind of the subsequent cultures. Like um, the, because Zoroastrian, Zoroastrianism. Interesting that you brought it up as well, because that was the ancient religion of Persia. Hmm. Um, as uh, Islam came in, as, as uh, specifically uh, Shia Islam came in to kind of prominence in Persia, hmm. that then shifted to like a washing with water. Yeah. Which is uh, still something that's done by a lot of cultures. Yeah. 
But um, they'd, they'd wash with urine, they'd lay them in linen, and they were visited by a sugdid, which is a dog that casts away evil spirits, um, as well as mourners, and everyone was really careful not to touch anything. Um, then the linens were removed with very specific tools so that the body was never touched. Oh, interesting. And then it was placed in uh, placed above a tower of silence, uh, which is they put it on the top of a big tall building, um, which nobody went near, uh, and they were to be eaten by the birds. Huh, that's fun. That's good because that's something that is actually uh, still practiced today. today in Mongolia and Tibet. Yeah, uh, Tibetan sky funerals. Yes. Um, in fact, uh, I was reading something that said that uh, if you go to at least like the right places, they've done surveys and like I think somewhere somewhere they polled like eighty percent of the population. With, yeah, like, yeah. Of course, we'll do a sky burial. That's what we do here. Yeah, there was a um, I saw, saw the same stat. I believe it was um, through Tibet. It was polling if if this was a an easy option. What. But would you do this? Oh, and was it, it was just kind of Tibet at large? Was that what the study was trying to get I at? believe, yeah. It was oh. like, um, it's not really... A, some people were like, it's not really available to us, but if it was, like, we'd do it. And a lot of people were just like, yeah, we, we already do that. Yeah. Yo, I know I know that um, monks monks and um, other kind of, like, religious figures uh, still very much do it. Um, mm. I genuinely really love those types of... Those types of burials, the, like, leaving the body to the land or the sky burial sort of thing. I think that, like... So much of modern burials have become about like artificially preserving the body and stuff like that, and it it's they never leave they leave such like horrible chemicals behind. Like you, oh, yeah. you're like actively making the the earth worse by dying. Like, oh, yeah. just why why mm. the whole the whole thing about it so much in a lot of cultures that I'm aware of is like you return to the earth, you you give back. Well, I actually. No, why? So that's what I'm going to get into because yeah, there are there are a lot of overlaps between the specific practices themselves, or at least the intent behind the practices. But mm. more so, there are especially as you kind of get um, as we uh, as we started to trend more towards like Western hegemony uh, culturally, mm. at least in a lot of a lot of places in the world. Um, you see uh, a lot of similarities in the attitudes that the specific attitudes about death and dying that kind of underpin those beliefs. So uh, Aries, this uh, historian, um, actually widely regarded to be kind of like the father of like the, of the study of the history of death. Even like his critics refer to him, it, like he has a bunch of like outspoken French critics mm. uh, who still refer to him uh, in French as like the Dean. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're talking about like his influence on the field, uh, it's it, it the word is like the dean or the like guru. It's like kind of a, a more spiritual mm. term, um, which I think is kind of interesting. It really goes to show like how he really revolutionized the way we consider this sort of thing. Yeah, um, the like specifically looking towards how people felt about it. So he breaks history. Uh, it, in terms of these these Western attitudes into four eras. Uh, the first is the era of tamed death. So this is the this is kind of when death is just part of life. Death is just an accepted 
occurrence in the day-to-day life of everyone. Everyone dies and everyone knows people who die and we just have to live with that. Um, In like Western depictions, that's sort of where you see like family and friends gathered around to see you off kind of thing. Um, It's like that kind of idea, Uh, which is uh, this article was talking about is reflected in the... In, uh, what's called the Persian poetic wisdom, which is kind of like a, as far as I can, as far as I'm aware, like a compilation of a bunch of like important kind of cultural texts and stuff okay. from Persia. Really, like talks about death in kind of the same way. This like, uh, which this like medieval idea of like death, yeah, the tamed death, death mm. that's just part of it. It's just in the house. It's your life. Um, it was so this was this was a time you can see in like Christianity people who were buried this is kind of like pre the idea of going to hell which really kind of helps influence this this attitude because this is still a time where you were buried and then at the second coming of Christ you were either resurrected or not hmm. you weren't punished you just hmm. s- stayed dead so it was like everyone died and it, everyone went through the same thing. And eventually, r- devout people would go to heaven. But it wasn't going to be for a long time. And for the meantime, we all just kind of had to die together. I always forget how... Because I grew up uh, in a Christian church. Um, I always forget just how wild the Old Testament really is, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the New Testament even is full of stuff like, hey, Jesus is coming back and then all the sinners will stay dead and go to hell and all the other people, the good people, we get they'll to hang out up. again. We'll get yeah. to hang out. We'll see each other. Well, it's interesting because, again, we're still talking even at this time about, look, this is medieval society. This is still like a Christian society mm. specifically. Mm. And even even they were just like, well, I mean, Jesus will come back and, and we'll go chill with him. Could but everyone you, else is, I mean, they they did their time. Could you imagine being like a medieval, a medieval peasant when they invent the concept of hell? <laughs> you're like just hanging out and you go to church one day and you're like, yeah, when I die, I'll just die. And then if I'm really good, I'll get another go at it. And then they're like. No, no, no. If you do bad, you, you go to bad place. Yeah. They're like, hey, uh, if you're mean, uh, you're going to get tortured every day. Forever and ever. And you're like, hold up, hold up. No one mentioned this when I was baptized. Oopsies. Hold hope, up. Hope you, hope you kept a receipt. <laughs> Pranked. <laughs> Pranked. You're going to suffer forever. <laughs> Jesus pops out from like behind a pew and is like, gotcha. <laughs> the cameras are here, here and here. And then he tortures you for infinity, forever. No, I'm pretty sure that's Scotty and the ninjas. <laughs> That's true. You're right. I'm thinking of Frank Patrol. <laughs> um, so this this is kind of a time where you would bury people uh, away from the home. Uh, mm. It was usually in kind of like a churchyard um, in Western culture. And in, in, in Persian culture, you can see like reflected these attitudes that uh, if you, that you also wouldn't be resurrected because there the was the Persian culture also mm. kind of had this like idea of resurrection on like a day of judgment. Um, and again, it was just like, well, if you ignore religion, if you are bad, if you overindulge, then you just won't be. You'll just have to be stuck here. Mm. Um, 
This is also where you kind of see like the like an era of like churchyards and stuff being like they were very kind of like recreational things at the time. Um, and the other the other the other kind of interesting thing uh, that really kind of goes to show just how accepting they were of death as just like a fact of life mm. is that graves were not expected to be permanent uh, by any measure. They were, in fact, like ossuaries, which is just where you put a bunch of dead people in one big room, mm. uh, were incredibly common um, because it was just like, well, you don't need a place to keep going to. Like, you're dead. Yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting stuff about that um, that I, I only very, very briefly touch on. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's actually a lot of significant problems are being caused by the modern belief of, hey, you're grave is forever mm. Mm. Um, specifically in um, in Asia where there's such a huge population density mm. um, in South uh, in Korea there's this uh, I'm not sure if you've seen this uh, funeral beads uh, oh yes I read about this this is uh, the practice because they are so short on space for burial uh, instead what people will do is they'll be cremated and then they'll have those ashes uh, turned into essentially little glass beads that uh, little decorative glass beads that you can keep in the home that's a that's a very Victorian approach. It does feel like it, doesn't yeah. it? And it's it's just born out of we don't have space for mm. this, but we don't want to have ashes in our home. Mm. Let's make something pretty. I mean like some of the like world's most famous examples of that sort of of that sort of thing in terms of like space efficient body storage is the French catacombs. Mm-hmm. And they won't even like they won't even picky about keeping bodies together. You can have whole rooms that are only full of skulls, or whole rooms only filled with leg bones. Like as Lachlan was mentioning, like your grave doesn't really matter. It's it's not like that your body isn't intact necessarily. It's mm. just like yeah, if you're good, you'll be back later. It's yeah. fine. Yeah, because yeah. it was, I mean, if God could create all the people and yeah. God could resurrect people, one would presume that you don't need to be sitting there with a marker next to you. God can do a puzzle. God can do puzzles. <laughs> the reason why Judgment Day hasn't come around yet is he's just like trying to trying to pinpoint where all the bones went. He's there's, like, oh, there's actually man. a bunch of extra pieces that have been tucked in there. It's and like, it's, it, this puzzle doesn't have any edge it's pieces. Like, it's like building an IKEA table. It's like, ah, uh, I put it on the wrong way. Now we have to unscrew it and start again. <laughs> uh, one of the the wooden connectors is snapped. I've got it. Oh, Jesus, this is why you always keep spares. He's lost his uh, his little. He doesn't have his Allen key. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and it's interesting the parallel between, at this point, between like the Zoroastrian uh, culture and the kind of Christian culture that was prevailing in the West, because Zoroastrians also didn't b- have like permanent like grave sites, but what so in but they took it kind of a step further and just didn't bury them at all, and that's kind of like Tully was saying, like with mm. that kind of what you now see is like a, like a Tibetan sky burial, yeah, and yeah, you would just kind of leave them out and they'd be eaten so it's like they're both everyone's thinking about it in the same way you know everyone's just like death happens and that's fine and it sucks and we'll move on yeah Hmm. and then you hit like the 12th century the the second middle ages oh god this article calls it and the church starts to kind of change the way that they talk about death uh aries calls this the era of one's own death um which essentially is when Grim. it becomes 
personal. It's not just a matter of the people who will be resurrected are going to be resurrected and the people who won't are going to be dead. It's you will be judged for your sins and you will be rewarded or you will be punished. There is no in-between. That's where this like heaven and hell, uh, mm. really strict dichotomy really starts to emerge in the culture. Would you would you say that's about the same era that like the personification of death comes more into play as something that like comes for you? Uh, I mean, I don't have any like actual information mm. on that, but I mean, I would say so. Because until then, death was just like just death, something that happened. Death yeah. was the same as breathing. It was the same as yeah. needing breakfast in the morning. It was just a thing, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely um, a possibility at least. It's de- it's, I mean, it was definitely probably emerging around that time. Actually, mm. as we get through this, you'll see they really kind of builds even further mm. that like idea of death is something kind of coming for you. Um, Cause at this time it is still very much like it's a thi- it's just a thing that happens. It's still thought of that way, but it's got more weight now because that's the time where I guess you can't, there's no, no, no do overs then. And now there's mm. stakes. Yeah. Now there's actual stakes to it. And they've, they've, as you said, very much personalized it. It's if you do not get into heaven, you will suffer. You specifically, not you as a group. You, the singular. Yeah, and it, it stops becoming something to something that's purely aspirational, something to like strive towards, and becomes this like almost panopticon idea of like tailoring your own behavior day to day to make sure that you're not punished. And it really, this idea like really starts to take hold. Uh, and again, in Persian culture, it, it starts to really more firmly develop this idea of like the day of judgment, this this like scary time in a way, in a, in a way that like whatever like your res- big resurrection event originally was, mm. was ha- had never been until this point. It was always like a very kind of hopeful kind of abstract thing. But now it's like, this is the day where you get punished. Mm. Um, and it's, it's it's interesting the way you can see kind of these ideas of death develop towards a more kind of individualized culture as well. Um, so at this time, they're still kind of like treating death as sort of a similar-ish thing. But the, mm. the, the change comes in predominantly, uh, in both cultures really, comes in the fact that death is no longer witnessing someone's death it's witnessing their final moments because that's when you know, well, that's when they know they look back on their life and they know whether they're going to be punished or not. And you have to be there to witness. Oh, mm. that's where the idea like of kind of like deathbed confessionals comes about yeah. um, in the culture. It's the idea of like, like the way you act in your final moments is at least an it's indication. It's your last chance to like do, to change your decided fate. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really kind of pivotal moment. Um, and even if you don't have an opportunity to kind of turn it around, uh, people want to know. Mm. You're about to die. This is the last chance we have We have to get like an insight into you. Will you be redeemed or will you suffer? Mm. And it kind of becomes this like like a much, a much more kind of stressful personal experience to be around mm. someone on their deathbed when before it was kind of just like a comforting like nice family thing that yeah, you did. Yeah, it's like, hey, I'll be with you and I'll say goodbye and we'll all be together. And now it's like... Anyway, any last words, dude? Yeah, well, I was about to say, yeah, this kind of explains the morbid fascination that 
people have with last words. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It, that's this is definitely the era where that comes about. I wonder if I wonder if again this is where sort of like last rites come in. You know how you have like a priest come around and say like the final prayer. Well, that's like a, you you like bless them and you like forgive them for their sins before they die. Yeah, well, that's the interesting thing. Like religious people would still come around in kind of like the earlier periods mm. and still be like a part of this process with your family. But it wasn't like a you needed this or it would be bad. It was just because like you trusted them and they comforted you. Yeah. Yeah. If you um, got ripped apart by wolves, you were still going, like you still could go to heaven rather than if you got ripped apart by wolves and didn't have a prayer said before, then you were. Yeah. Doomed. You were putting yeah. yourself in a worse position, yeah. Yeah, there's something to add like more rules to it. Um, so it then really is very classist, isn't it? Like the, oh, the, uh, the assumption that you will have warning before you die is very much a, a privilege for the rich. Not necessarily. It kind of. We'll circle back to that because that that, that comes up in a really. I'll get to my answer for that. Cool. Um, so then we get into the period of what's called the thy death. Uh, according to Aries, uh, this it's kind of from the 18th century as we're kind of getting into the Enlightenment, and it stops being so much a moment of being with someone and becomes a moment of mourning yourself. Hmm. So this is where this is where you kind of start to see, at least in Western culture, the emergence of ideas uh, of the like like wailing mourners and mm. like the wailing widow and stuff like that, which is obviously something that exists uh, in, I know there's like a bunch of indigenous cultures and stuff that have similar practices and stuff, but this is where you see in like Celtic culture and stuff, um, or it, sorry, this is where you see kind of trickling down from Celtic culture, these ideas of like really exaggerated mourning. It's this, I'll just quote here. This morning is accompanied by expressing excessive emotions, showing intolerance of the death of loved ones. It's kind of like, it's really sentimental and it's almost, it's not denying it in any way, but it's arguing back, you know? Mm. It's, it's talking back to death in a way that nobody had really done before, uh, at least in kind of these cultures. Uh, Persian culture was a little bit more resistant to it because Persian culture is also more overtly religious. So, and under under a lot of like Islamic funeral rules and stuff, you can't really be like very overly emotional at someone's. Yeah, I'll get into a bit of that at someone's. Th- yeah. So, but it it does kind of start to pick up a little bit. There are like elements of kind of like Persian culture that start to adopt some of these ideas as the yeah. West starts to like spread its influence. Um, but that's kind of like later in kind of the the end towards the end of the nineteenth century, it really starts to take a hold. But yeah, in the in the West, it became like very much a. It was about you. It wasn't about the person anymore. It was about you and how you felt and how it was wrong that this was done to you. And then we get into the modern era, what, what Aries calls the era of forbidden death. And this is where we get to these Enlightenment ideas really not just alter the way we think about death as a spiritual thing, but completely supplant it in Western society. This is where death goes from a thing that could be predicted, a thing where mm. you recognise, I am dying, these are the signs of someone dying. Because you don't, unless you're killed, you really kind of don't die instantly. Yeah. There, there is something that kills you and it's usually somewhat gradual. If, even if it's like a fast-acting disease, you've got a couple days. Yeah. And so whereas under, at one point in history, people would then gather their loved ones and get their priest and say their goodbyes and get their affairs mm. in order, now we get into the era w- where you go to the hospital and you fight it 
till the very last mm. moment. You take every minute you can from the jaws of death and you hold on to them, even if it means that we, nine times out of ten, will all end up dying alone and afraid and in pain in a cold clinical hospital room. Mm. Because it's better to it's better to die alone than to die sooner. Mm. Even if it's by a day. Even wow. if there's nothing to be done. I mean, that also reflects in the way that we talk to people who are who are ill or elderly, where it's like, oh, don't think about that. Oh, that's in the future. And it's like, well, this is also a reality for 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 them. But people don't talk about it. They they keep they continuously like procrastinate thinking or contemplating death. Mm, it's it's. Uh, yeah, that's it really shifts from this like instead of being a curse on death, it becomes it shifts to a denial of death mm. and an ignorance towards death. It was like our emotions in the enlightenment became too much for us to bear, so we decided no, death isn't real anymore. Mm. We won't let it be. So it like really kind of like goes completely backwards in in the way that we like think about it. Um and this is where you see kind of like embalming and uh, cremation starts to take hold in western society because in a lot of a lot of um a lot of the like more kind of historical uses of cremation were an another method of kind of like dispersing of a body and having the death be done with it was an expressly impermanent thing mm. whereas like now it's like well, we've run out of room in the graveyards. We've buried everyone already. But you've got to keep them. You've got to hold on to them. You've mm. got, they've got to stay, so you put them in an urn on your mantle. Mm. Um, it's this, like, even, even at, like, the very end, you kind of, like, refuse to acknowledge that they're not with you. Mm. Um, even after they're dead. It's, like, it, this intentional ignorance, this, like, elimination of death. And, it, and that's really what lets, yeah, it lets... In, not even just in terms of like cremation and stuff, but like embalming really takes a hold, um, which has been we've gotten really good at it too. Yeah, well, embalming. Mm. Yeah, embalming becomes a massive thing. I mean, most most cultures up until kind of like modernity, you would you'd have you le- pretty much legally had to bury someone as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, whereas now it's like hold on to them as long as you can, make them not look dead for as long as you can, and it's like, well, well what does that serve? They're dead. That's. That's really interesting also thinking about like Victorian approaches to death as in like you would have photographs taken with your dead relatives propped up so they didn't look dead so you could have like one last photo or you had like bit the bones or hair and all sorts of like extra parts of the body like you had to bury the body as Lachlan said like you had to. But what could you get before you lost that body? What could you hold mm. on to that they weren't that you could keep? And it's in, it's it's interesting, I think, to um, to contrast that with um, it's not Persian culture, but a good example of it is there is a get back to you on the name, but there is a, a group of uh, like a cultural group that where um oh, you've probably seen the pictures of it the the people who will keep their like dead relatives in oh, like rooms in the house and like mm. dress them up and the yeah. Taraja people of uh, South uh, Sulawesi in Indonesia. There we go. Thank yeah. you. Yes, um, I was about to spiral like circle back to that once you've um, finished. I like what you're talking about there because um, it actually just started kind of. Oh, you're good. Jumping. Um, this is actually an interesting one because it's a similar 
thing, but I think the beliefs, the underlying beliefs, are actually a little bit different. Mm. Yeah, well, that's the that's the thing. It's like the the reason that the reason that like that cult, that the people from people from um, some people from the uh, Taraja people, Taraja people, some of the Taraja people will like hold on to a dead relative is specifically so that they can give them a good send off. So you can like save up and prepare and like. Yeah. And like um, do it right at the time, whereas they, embalming is to hold on to them to pretend they're not dead for as long as you can, which is like a really interesting mm. kind of like the tamed death versus the forbidden death kind of mm. dichotomy in the modern age. They also see death more as a sickness than an event. So death is something that you go through. And so these people that are dead, that they're bringing around, that they're bringing with them on their everyday life, they're just very sick. Um, and they they are in the stage of death. And then eventually, eventually you will bury them and that's when they're properly dead. Huh. Mm. Yeah. So at that point, they're just incurably sick and you're seeing them off. That's fair. I guess there is more culturally separating the living from the dead than there is biologically. Mm. That's also a really interesting way to like process your grief. Uh, Like you get to to decide when you're when your family member's dead. You get to decide when to let go. Yeah, and it gives a chance for, as, as Lachlan said, uh, for the families to save up for a funeral and to save up uh, for what whatever's going, uh, for members of family to make it there. But they never pretend that this is a person who is still moving around. Mm. They just still include them in family life. Yeah, there's no denial it's such a such a complete acceptance of death that even the body doesn't really bother you. Mm. Well, it's like, well, I mean, we we can't we can't do it yet, so just just hold on another couple of days. Put put grandma back to bed. Yeah, hmm. she can wait. She's not going anywhere. <laughs> which I mean is fair. Which is fair. That's a joke that you couldn't make among, around like a bereaving a bereaved family in the West. But, but quite possibly you could make. Well, I mean, you wouldn't even have to because they would literally put grandma back to bed. Yeah. yeah it's, it wouldn't even be a joke. And I just think that's really interesting. It's it's really wild because um, I remember when I was quite young, my neighbour's mother passed away from cancer. Um, mm. And just due to the, the day, I'm pretty sure it was a public holiday or something, they couldn't get anyone to come in and pick her up overnight. So her, ch- like my neighbours, the children, came and stayed with us because they would too upset to stay in that house which wouldn't have been an issue in that culture because that would have just been accepted yeah but in in our culture our approach to death they they couldn't bear to be in the same house let alone the same room as the body of their mother who they had talked to for many weeks beforehand yeah and it's and you can also kind of see it in the way that people talk about in a lot of like western media like i don't want you to remember me like this it's like that kind of like like the thing that deadpool does oh yeah he's like (laughs) he's like i don't want i don't want this to be the way if i die i don't want this to be your last memory of Mm. me it's like but everyone dies yeah no one's looking great you're dying yeah you're literally at your worst it's also like i i think that like in those in those final moments like don't don't you want them to be there like of all the times where you want your family around why send them away at your most vulnerable but no it's like it's 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 shameful to die it's like you should have stopped it why didn't you stop it yeah why didn't you just not die yeah 
it's interesting the way that like because it really kind of does tie to like the hospital specifically as like an institution mm. it's yeah really, it's really i honestly just like generally I, I really find it fascinating the way that like the idea of the hospital has like so massively altered our culture like irreparably yeah the oh, hospital yeah. and the school are two massive changes mm. to society that have just changed our views in, entirely oh yeah yeah, I th- I think also like in terms of hospital, it depends on how you die about like people's <laughs> reaction to it and like the the culture surrounding that. Because uh, my grandmother recently passed away of cancer, and mm. she spent the last few weeks of her life surrounded by family almost twenty four seven. I remember like going to Woolworths and making dinner in Tupperware containers so that I could take them to aunts who were standing around her bedside at all hours of the night and day until her final moments because everyone was like, she can't be alone in this weird place. Mm. And, I mean, she was too sick at the time to give her opinion, but it was always – she always seemed happy when she was lucid to have the people she loved around her, which Mm. I guess is a a very different death to someone dying just naturally of old age or in, like, a traumatic way. Yeah, and it's it's crazy that – that that like variation of the like kind of familial attitude towards it has had to emerge not now not in response to the scary part being death mm. but the scary part being dying in a hospital the yeah. thing that we originally like has taken over our cultural attitude mm. we we now have to we now have to be around to witness and comfort each other during the hospital part specifically. Yeah, mm. and I mean, as Tully was saying in terms of like death and class, the the option to die at home is expensive. It, yeah. it costs a lot of money because you have to, in order to like a lot of the time, you have to have medical equipment or carers to come in and then you have to be able to transport the body afterwards and that's all very expensive. Yeah. And I mean, just kind of re- realistically... No, I don't imagine a lot of people would lot now lot people want, want even just the legal risk of having a dead body in their house. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Dying's an expensive business. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Well, um, look, I just wanted to talk a little bit about funerals themselves and so the funeral rites and what they reflect about the beliefs of the people who, who follow them. So it's going to be a little bit here and there, Look, just cherry-picking bits and pieces of various cultures. Um, I would highly recommend the best way to get to know a funeral rite is to actually look into a specific culture and how they do things in their entirety because most of these things do line up. You don't get any particular element of this in isolation. But oh, the, yeah. what I'm looking at here is more so going to be what sort of elements you can use to create your own funeral rites in uh, fictional cultures. So imagine you're creating the funeral rites for... Pelor or for Grumsh or for something like that in your game. Mm. If you want to have some interesting funeral rites, you can draw upon these as inspiration. So there are two forms of disposal of bodies. There are just there are always two forms of disposal. The first one is destruction, and the next one's preservation. So destruction of the body is things like cremation and sky burial, um, which we talked about before, was leaving the body for the birds. Uh, and then preservation is more like mummification and embalming and burial. So most of the time, most of the time, if a body's buried, this is seen as a form of preservation. See, I would probably distinguish that more as like preservation or not, though. That even even cultures that will like cremate their dead, kind of like as a matter of just like standard practice, it's it's never even it's never framed as 
is anything more than just like the inevitable. Yeah, it's it's return return this to the elements, or you know, this is this is the finale of everything. Yeah, it's like it's yeah. like it's the same kind of it's the same attitude as like the sky burial, but I think it's like specifically it's it's common in like Hindu funerals typically end in cremation, and yeah. that's because of the way the like elements that make up the universe and like yeah return return the body to the five elements yeah you so it's like even that is just kind of like it's true like if it's i just think it's interesting that they're all treated as decomposition even Mm. the ones that you're actively doing yeah it's like no Um, one's trying to destroy it you're just letting the world do its thing yeah and well that's that's one of the things about disposable is um so it does does depend on the the beliefs of the culture so in uh, in Hinduism, as we were talking about before, adults are always cremated. They're always cremated um, because this is seen as returning the body to the, the five elements. Oh, yeah. It's adults and children are the distinction, right? Yes. Yeah. Because children, children specifically are buried and they ask the god, the god uh, Mrityu uh, for neither harm, to neither harm our girls nor our boys and they pray for the earth to cover and protect them like a woolen blanket. So that's interesting. That's really sweet. Yeah. And so it's... Yeah, it's uh, a young death is seen as a tragedy and there to be protected, uh, whereas an adult death, well, that is just death. Mm. And so that's the distinction. There is, it, I guess, children dying are seen as before their time, and so they need further protection. Yeah, yeah, I like that because it's um, it's got that still that kind of element of like the inevitability of death, but like a denial of fate. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, like death is more inevitable. Dying at the end is more inevitable than your fate. So it's like, well, fuck you. This, no one planned this. we we'll just keep, mm. keep, 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 yeah. keep, you know, I you get exactly. me. There's always such interesting, uh, like def, like not definitions, I guess, but exceptions to, to final rights and stuff like that. Like in those cultures where like child, children's death are treated differently to adults death. Mm. And like, um, I think like a really clear example of it is, uh, ancient sparta where you are only really like given your final burial rights if you died in battle or in childbirth yeah. where it was like you earned this like everyone dies but you guys did it for a reason you yeah. earned it yeah um as far as disposal goes there is also um so if you look at um, western africa so this is they had the fantasy coffins in ghana but um and which is a, a good way of making light of burial. Um, one thing I quite like is in some in some countries there is um, burial under the kitchen of houses. Oh, yeah. Um, so burial under your actual house or in spe- in some um, countries it is specifically under the kitchen, which I don't I couldn't find the the roots to that, but I do like the idea of keeping the keeping that in close. That being said, in these cultures that's Probably linked to can't find the name here uh, in my notes. It's somewhere along it. I'll find it eventually. But um, the practice of exhuming the body uh, every seven years or so to redress it and rebury it, so to speed up comp- decomposition. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and it's it's it happens in August um, every year, and sort of every seven years or so, um, you would do it to any particular body, mm. and this was. It's a time of remembrance, it's a time of celebration, and it's a time to redress the bodies and rebury them. 
Huh, that's cool. Because I, I know that a lot of a lot of cultures have kind of like rituals around like anniversaries and stuff like that. But I, I, I yeah. didn't realize that there are some where you like straight You'll up just like them. exhume them. Yes. Do it and again. Actually, there is uh, another one that I quite like, which is in Kiribati, the skull burial. So uh, after a certain period of time, and it depends, I think, the area of Kiribati and the various beliefs, but um, the skull specifically is exhumed. Everything else is left buried, but the skull is exhumed, it's polished, and then it's kept in a living space, and you'll make offerings of tobacco and food to it. <laughs> That's fun. And I like, I actually quite like that as like the body, cool, that's fine, but we're going to remember you. Here's your skull. You are now a very nice looking decoration in our home, and we're going to give you gifts. Yeah. Yeah. And they are, they are well polished, and they're very, very nice to look at. Huh. Yeah. I mean,. So That's one way to do it, for sure. And so you've got this this idea of exhumation uh, being as a part of the the rites. That's cool. That yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that. It's like I I think it's really interesting when it's kind of like an ongoing process. Exactly. There is a lot of a lot of different cultures have geographical considerations as well when it comes to to specifically burial. In most cases, mm. in Baha'i culture, um, the funeral and the burial are to happen no further than one hour from the place of death. Oh, yeah. Um, this is a really cool one. Um, it's no further than one hour uh, from the place of death. This is flexible, but the idea behind it, the underlying cult- uh, cultural belief, is that you shouldn't be getting attached to the place where the body is buried. It shouldn't be in a sentimental place. They should be buried and left. Yeah. Well, that's uh, it's kind of, I mean, I don't know how much you guys know about the Baha'i faith, um, but a lot of the way that I, I've, I have a lot of friends that are quite okay. devout Baha'i uh, followers, followers maybe, I don't know, devout Baha'is who and it's like a lot of the way that kind of the like belief system has developed is like in a very similar way to the way that like Christianity is can be you can kind of at least historically see it as like a response to judaism you can see like a lot of islam is kind of like a response to the abrahamic religions that then came yeah. before them kind of that thing of like mm. it's like building this yeah. process because yeah. then the baha'i faith then takes that idea and is like essentially like a returning to like the things that kind of like those those kind of big uh, monotheistic religions like lost over time including stuff like i guess a more i guess holistic attitude towards death yeah like, yeah. it's just, like, again, like, seeing it as just, like, kind of part of life. It's like, you, you don't get to choose where people die or how this happens. It just, death just happens. And we need to just let it. Exactly. And, yeah, the idea is that it just, they've died, bury them where they are, and we'll be done. Mm. And But then sometimes there's, you know, more ritualistic geographic stuff. Like, in Christianity, you've got to be have the funeral happen on consecrated ground. And, in most cases, the burial as well. But that would that's why you actually have a funeral in a church and then take them to the burial grounds mm. or the burial grounds are on the church grounds rather than just do it all in the one place. It's why you'll have you know people bringing the coffin from the church to the graveyard, the pallbearers. It needs to happen on consecrated ground. And then there's things like for Judaism and Islam, um, they've got to be facing a certain way. So uh, uh, for Islam, you've got to bury the body so that if they were to turn right, they would be facing Mecca. Whereas in Judaism, in some faiths, it's not all communities, but in some faiths, feet must be facing the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Hmm. And then there's 
stuff like you literally have to bury some, well, dispose of somebody in a particular place. Like in Sikhism, it's really important to scatter the ashes in the River Punjab. Huh. Hmm. It's, um, that's also really interesting because um, when I was like researching the, the burial of a lot of ancient people, it also was in specific poses. Often they were buried in like a sort of like fetal position, whether that was lying down or sort of like sitting curled up in a grave. And it's really interesting that like that, how that's developed from like, oh, you have to be posed this way. This is the position that you sit in your grave to like, okay, so you're mm. going to face this direction. This is where you need to be. Yeah. And um, then you kind of get into, you know, how they're put in the graves. There's things like uh, the various um, ways of dress. So for a lot of this time, uh, most of these considerations, if there's like something specified, it's pretty simple. It's silk or cotton. It's uh, a white robe or it's just, yeah, they're dressed in a white cloth. Um, In Hinduism, it's a white cloth for a man or a widow, a red cloth for a married woman. In Judaism, they're given a kittel and a talit, which is a shawl, uh, for men or plain white cloth for a woman. And yeah, most of the time, the dress is very simple. It seems to fit in with at least older beliefs that this is a return to the elements. You don't need to put your finest into it. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, the, but for Baha'i, there's actually, um, they dress them in silk or cotton. And then they are to be given a ring with a prayer inscribed. And the, the prayer goes something along the lines of, um, I came forth from God and return unto him, detached from all save him, holding fast to his name, the merciful, the compassionate. Oh. Except and it's probably in Farsi. Yeah, it is in Farsi. <laughs> but that's, like, that's, that's why I said approximately. Yeah, I know. It's, um, we're just but, goofing. But essentially, yeah, that's like the, the silk and cotton, that's not going to last long. The ring is going to last a hmm. long time. That's, it's really interesting that you mentioned the... Um, the like plain clothing and the shrouds and stuff like that. Mm. Cause that's actually where we get our imagery of ghosts from. Oh. So the, like the ghost covered in the sheet comes from like the very traditional shrouds you'd get where you weren't necessarily dressed in anything. You were just wrapped in a cloth. And if somebody were so to, if you were to stand up from the dead, you'd just have a cloth over you. You wouldn't, you mm. would be a, like a sort of shapeless oh, figure. Interesting. And then once you get more into sort of like, 1800s Victorian era, Edwardian era sort of stuff where they stopped using necessarily shrouds and they were often dressed in night dresses or white or white, white clothing. clothing. Then you have that idea of like the figure wandering through the, the, the mansion in the white gown. Whether that be a man or a woman, it was always like a white dress of some description. Mm. Um, actually, interestingly, um, I was reading kind of like what, what one of the, there was someone was talking about how the, one of the big changes from that era of like Christians doing that thing of like traditional kind of like mm. simple wrappings and like those kind of funeral mm. rites in general was uh, one of the big changes was like the black death. You just kind of ran out of consecrated yeah. ground oh, and you ran out of priests to wrap yep. them in linens. And yeah, you didn't have who time. Who wants to dress a plague victim anyway? So I guess we just wear clothes when we die now. Yeah, you didn't yeah. have time to sit there and very carefully sew your loved one uh, a burial shroud mm. with like your, your lovingly done embroidery. It was like, okay, they're dead. And if they stay around long enough, so will I. Mm. And I mean, if all the churchyards are, fill, are full, you can't put them in consecrated ground anyway. So why even bother going through all the through mm. all of the ritual just to... Yeah have them there yeah, it's um like when you look at the black death and stuff and the the estimated deaths vary so wildly mm. it's just because they like they didn't keep track of who was dying everyone yeah. it, they died too fast or in such like weird ways that you you never got 
to keep track of any of it. Yeah. yeah. So then uh, we've talked a little bit about cleanliness um, already, about having to wash uh, wash the bodies in a lot of cultures. And so most of that, those rituals, it just depends what they're washed with. So sometimes it's bull's urine, sometimes it's water, camphor and lotus, sometimes it's um, in just in oil, um, but the body is often washed. And that's there's the underlying thing there is mostly health-wise, to be fair. It's mostly health-wise. Um, I want to be washed in something yucky when I die. Wash me in... Don't say <gasps> it. Oh, I know what I'm going to... I know what I'm going to put you in when you die. Oh, what? I'm going to roll you into a bog. You can be oh. a bog mummy. Yes, you can be a bog mummy. Um, okay, but only if you bathe me in, in bottles of my own piss first. I'll save up um, beforehand. I just want to so do, I wanna do the urine thing, but I want to oh. take my own spin on it. I want to make it bad. So Fine. then there's a bunch of different things about observation of bodies. Um, this is actually quite important in some cultures. Um, in Judaism, a dead body is to be watched. You need to watch it. Mm. There's In ancient Greece, you had to watch the body at all times, which led to professional mourners uh, as a career. You could be a mourner, which meant you people could, would hire you to watch the dead body while they slept. Huh. Yeah, and it was it was so important to them that they would hire people so that they could get some sleep. And then there's the idea of the wake for visitation of a body. It comes from those same beliefs of needing to watch the body between death and burial. And that is sort of a, a lot of the time uh, reflective of the belief that this is they need to be preserved, they need to be kept as they are. Mm, interesting. Yeah, and, uh, you can see a similar similar vein of that in some cultures where it was instead really important to visit someone as they were dying, where it had like a similar importance to like staying with them after they were dead, mm. um, which I just think is like an Another interesting way that, that that kind of like attitude manifests. Yeah. And then I've just got a, a bu- bunch of uh, observations uh, from various cultures that aren't necessarily tied to a particular category of thing, but that I thought were worth, worth mentioning for inspiration, if nothing else. So in Sikhism, um, death is just a factor of God's will. It's the belief of reincarnation means birth and death are supposed to be very similar. Uh, and so, because of that, um, loud wailing and crying are discouraged. Yeah. And it's it's seen as this isn't a thing to be sad about. You can There is definitely showing that this has affected you. In fact, sometimes they, um, people, not so much in Sikhism, more in Buddhism, will walk around uh, with canes to show that they are hampered without this person. It's like symbolic. Oh, okay. Mm. Um, but it's not seen as a sad event more as a somber event. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of because no, none of the cultures that are that have like more kind of relaxed attitudes towards it are pretending that it's not a, an incredibly sad thing. It's just a thing that happens, and we all just kind of have to accept that we're going to be sad about it for a bit. Yeah. We also got to we got shit to do though. Mm. Yeah, exactly. There's the the idea of the New Orleans jazz funeral, which is essentially you walk the coffin through town and you start with a funeral march. So all your musicians are playing a funeral march, and by the end of things, we're in celebration mode. It's, yeah. it's more a remembrance than anything else. It's a classic kind of like celebration of life kind of idea. Yeah. Um, so I believe it's still at least reasonably common among like oh, African-American communities in New Orleans, right? It, yeah, it's hugely common in New Orleans. Huh. It's yeah. still going on strong. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I remember that's like one of the things that you like, it's like one of the pinnacle, like the uh, hallmarks of like a trip to New Orleans, right? Yeah. Is seeing a jazz funeral. Exactly. 
uh, in Japan, in uh, Shinto and Buddhist um, funeral rites, often a new name is given to the de- deceased person, befitting their religion. And then the person who gave it to them gets to steal their old one. Ooh. Let, f- just for clarity, that doesn't doesn't happen. Well, you don't know. <laughs> um, Not yet. Then we, we already <laughs> talked about the Taraja people, where the dead continue to live with the family for weeks or months afterwards. And it's the the manene is what it's called, the um, exhumation process. Ah. Um, every every August, there's just tons of bodies get exhumed. They will redress them, clean them, and put them back in the ground. And it's yeah, time of remembrance and celebration. That's fun. We've talked about sky burials. Here's a really interesting one: is the Tinguan funeral poses. So this is in the Philippines. They tea pose you. <laughs> they make you do a tea pose forever. I mean, you're not that far off. Oh, good. Um, they will oh, good. sit them in chairs in their finest clothing, mm-hmm. and they will give them cups of tea. They'll give them cigarettes, um, and they'll and these are like hot cup of tea, lit cigarette. They they will oh. just like give them all sorts of stuff, and they'll pose them. Is this the one where they just put them in a chair by the front door yep. and you just and that's just it? That's the end of the process. You're that's just the there end now. of the process. You're yeah. in this chair now. Yes. They just stay in the chair. That's I'm just, it. I'm there just, is no next step. I'm just hanging out on my patio having a smoke. What are you looking at? Yeah. Yes, I've been dead for three weeks, but who hasn't? Oh, I yeah. love that. Um, eventually, I feel like eventually do you think like out of just out of necessity? Like what, what's surely, the line? Surely they'd, they'd end up burying them or um, burning them or something like that. But yeah, apparently that's like the end of the formalized steps. Yeah, I wonder, I just like, if that's the only thing, if you don't have any guidelines about like when to, when to like move them again, I feel like, <laughs> like I don't know if I'd know when that line is. It's yeah. a, it's I a might competition. just leave them there forever. It's a competition to see how long you can last. It's mm. like, oh, my neighbors lasted. <laughs> my neighbors lasted three weeks, but I'm going to try and make it to a month. Look, my yeah. dad has been sitting next to this fucking front door for three years. You, yeah, you know the family's really metal when they've got like just the person still sitting there and they're like completely mummified. You um, know they're really metal and they really love that person. And this is uh, this I must preface. All of these ones do change depending on the individual country that uh, they come from, the individual language group, the communities. Oh, of course. Uh, but in Indigenous Australian traditions, in Aboriginal traditions, uh, it differs by the people that they come from. But some of these traditions include a smoking ceremony to drive away the spirit, mm. the feasts that are with mourners pace- painted for, yeah, in, like traditionally painted, and they eat a lot of food and they dance. Um, and it is sort of a morning celebration. Mm. I, I know that um, some communities also do the, the, the like wailing thing. Yeah, they, they do quite a lot, do the wailing. Um, and they, it's really about letting out those things and yeah. speaking it. Uh, that being said, you should not speak the deceased person's name uh, for a period of time, even if that name is a shared name and somebody else has it. So if there are two Johns in the community and one of the Johns dies, you can't say, you can't talk about John for a while. Um, even if you mean the other John, I guess you just have to refer to them differently, huh? Yeah, you do. And um, I, the beliefs around that, I'm not sure where that comes from exactly, but it does seem to be like a in combination with the driving out uh, spirits, with the smoking festival, uh, with the wailing. It seems to be trying to finish with that memory. Like it's almost almost like a grieving process and move on. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'll d- I'll, I mean, I'll definitely do some, because I've actually always been kind of interested in this. Uh, mm. So I'll try to do some research and come back with like a definitive answer next week. But I, but I 
would imagine you're right, considering there's also the warnings at the beginning of any um, programs that have... Yeah, you can't uh, show their image. ...visuals of, yeah, deceased uh, Indigenous Australians because it's like a, a warning. there's like a warning plate at the beginning for anyone, for people who don't live in Australia. There's a warning plate at the beginning of anything that kind of has like historical footage of Indigenous communities yeah. that like warns the viewers that if they are of... If they if they if they themselves are indigenous, to be warned that there's going to be depictions of dead people in this mm. in yeah. this program because it's inappropriate to, to look upon them. Yeah, well, I mean, it, our two dollar coin has a has an indigenous elder on it. Uh, that's not an actual person. That person never existed. Yeah, because you couldn't put a the, you just you couldn't put the visage of a person of a real person there. Yeah, in terms of like the the moving on and letting go in indigenous cultures in Australia. When I was looking at the items left behind, it was there weren't any. Yeah, it, it, either they were either they were used. They were either used amongst the group and repurposed and shared, or uh, there was one example given of uh, cremation within your hut with your belongings, and that was that was everything you owned went with you. Yeah, but um, I've I've found a, like a couple of uh, countries use cremation and a couple of them just uh, leave you on a on a ceremonial pile of leaves to decompose and hmm. it's it again seems to be very much a a release that seems to be the the purpose of it is this is you and you are no longer here yeah well i mean there's also like the in, the incredibly like strong connection to like the country itself that is like prevalent in like indigenous communities. So mm. I feel so I, I wonder if there's like an element of almost kind of continuation in it as well. Quite probably. It's like like it's you're not even really necessarily entirely gone. And uh, if you do know somebody who would be in, interested in talking about this stuff on air, we would love to continue this, I guess, with with somebody <laughs> who's actually informed. qualified to talk about it. And <laughs> yeah, a more, more informed. informed opinion. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll come. I'll come back with like a couple of quick. Like I did a bit of. I did a bit of fact checking. But like, if it would be great to have like a proper, a proper conversation. So, yeah. So much of the research done on this is so like heavily tinted by the lens of Australian colonialism that it's it, even the good references and sources we would be able to find online. Yeah. Might be entirely unreliable, and there's just no way of knowing, considering the the sort of ideas that have also permeated our culture. Yeah. Yeah. So, with that, we might take a very quick break, come back to you with some ways uh, of implementation, something to put into your games, and then uh, we'll call it a night. Fuck yeah, boy. I don't know if I like that. And we're back. You know, it's crazy to think about how the thing that we thought would save us from dying has really just killed the one thing that made dying bearable. Anyway, we have a fun story for you guys to do in your fun game that you play with the friends that are alive and you love. Yeah. So you start out, like most quests, being promised payment. You get told that... um, I need a name. Jareth Meyer. Cool. Old, old Jareth Meyer needs to go on one final adventure uh, before he retires for good. This is, you know, it's an important quest and you've just got to give 
give him a story worth telling. That is all you've been instructed to do, and it, you'll get a handsome payment for it. Oh, yeah, yeah. They want, look, they want Jareth Meyer in the fucking ground. <laughs> they don't want him around anymore, but like... Oh, yeah, in case we hadn't mentioned, Jareth Meyer is dead, and you have to give them one last story to tell. Oh, did we not mention we that? We did not mention that oh, yet, no. no, no, no. Yeah, Jareth Meyer died. He, I was, it was, I was wondering. Well, okay. I mean, to be fair, I did just say I they don't want him around and you said one last adventure. So I feel like if we didn't draw attention to it, then I could have really slipped under the radar there. It yeah. could have been like foreshadowing. <laughs> but it's like, but now everyone knows that Lachlan fucked up and got distracted thinking about how death is really inevitable. Oh, it's, it's and it's sounded, really just, it sounded deliberate. I'm just like, I'll cut this bit about us talking about us talking about it out. And then it will just be like, Oh, yeah, by the way, he's dead. That's the hook. No, it's fine. Leave it in. My life is as meaningless as my death will be. Don't worry. I'll roll you into a bog after I cover you in your own piss. Thank you. Yeah, Jareth Meyer's dead. Uh, He's dead as hell. He's dead as hell. And you've been tasked with giving him one final adventure. So what do you do? What, What do you do? It really is something to show your players and your world yeah to show off what they can do and who they are what's, yeah what's the best adventure you can think of you know what would you want to do if this was your last chance to go anywhere and do anything what would you do or and, mm, oh we used to. i was gonna say and let jareth meyer have that have that one perfect adventure yeah or I mean if you if you want to like kind of shift the tone away from like gung-ho adventure like What's the right thing to do? What is the correct thing to do with it? This body can't be buried yet. What would make it so they could be? Yeah. And, and then, so you can, then it's like kind of like a, a spiritual ref- contemplative. Yeah. And depending on how you introduce this and what the tone of your game is, you can really do whatever you want with it. This could be Weekend at Bernie's uh, or it could be a, a walk to the grave. Uh, it's a deep dive into the human experience of death and Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.